My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Keith Smith hosts a great podcast called The Fuel Podcast. Keith, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Fuel is all about the advertising business. It's like Mad Men for the years. Every show, I pick on a hot topic to discuss or interview a celebrity from the world of British and American advertising. We chat about all sorts of things, and I try and uncover the real person behind the image using just my powerful charm, incisive wit, and incredible humor humility. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Wherever they normally get their podcasts from Apple, Google, Spotify, the NPN website, or just visit my website at thefuelpodcast.com. You heard him. Go subscribe. Artificial intelligence is remaking marketing as we speak. And if you're a marketer, you can either get up to speed or get left behind. The choice is yours and really, it's a no-brainer. Join Jeff Livingston and Greg Verdino as they explore the latest AI news, trends, tools, and ideas that are creating the future of marketing today. This is No Brainer, an AI podcast for marketers. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, yes, I am an AI. Take it away, Jeff and Greg. Hey, this is Greg Verdino. Welcome to No Brainer. I'm here with my good friend, Jeff Livingston. How are you today, Jeff? What's up? I see we're both wearing black today. We are, we are. We're back in black, my friend. That's right. I always wear black t-shirts for these things. And now whenever I go out and network, I just put a sport coat over my black t-shirt. I don't have to figure out what to wear, man. It's like easy. I like recognize you don't even have to look at the face. They just look at the shirt and they know it's you. I wear, I have like 10 of them. I don't know about you. Yeah. I got a, Do you have I, got a brand? A I try to mix it up. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm brand loyal. I'm, I go through them so quickly. I tend to go cheap t-shirt and just when they start to, you know, turn into garbage, I use them for regs. There you go. Wash your car. Absolutely. I'm an American giant, man. That's what I wear. All right. Yeah. You're, you're a giant in so many ways, Jeff. So a giant in my own mind. Just, uh, let's hop in before we do though. Uh, just wanted to remind everybody that No Brainer is part of the Marketing Podcast Network. If you like what we do, be sure to check out marketingpodcasts.net. You'll find 50 or so of our friends all doing great marketing podcasts for marketers on everything from branding to PR to influencer to just about anything you can imagine. Lots of really good stuff there. Uh, if you are watching our show on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the channel and smash that like button. And if you're listening to us on uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any place that you like to listen to your pods, be sure to subscribe, give us a thumbs up, 
and rate the podcast and review us as well. Um, so we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, Jeff, um, and everybody, not just you, because presumably somebody's listening. Uh, so we do have a lot of stuff to talk about <laughs> today, and I feel like we keep coming back to uh, the topic of sort of AI threats and risks, and uh, certainly yeah. uh, there have been some new announcements, new letters, things like that, that have focused a lot of the energy around this idea of exponential threats related right. to artificial intelligence. It's been dominating the news cycle. You know, so today it's, we're going to get to it. We're going to... We're going to dissect it. Uh, we're going to yeah. uh, you know, kind of talk a little bit about whether marketers should really be worried about this or should be paying attention to it all, um, to it at all. Um, you know, I think uh, before we dive into the big, you know, kind of debate discussion part, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's been happening out there in the world of AI over the past week or two. Right. Yeah. So the big news, obviously, is Adobe finally integrated, not finally, I mean, they just announced it like two months ago, right? But they integrated Firefly into all things Adobe. So Premiere, After Effects, Spark, uh, Photoshop, Illustrator, and everybody's now putting out their new Twitter images with their extended backgrounds and extended photos and album covers like the Nirvana Baby. And it's a, a huge trend. And we have two audiences now, like, creatives are saying it's the end of the world which ties into our larger theme and of course uh people that are saying it's the greatest thing since you know the iphone launched and i've used it a couple of times i showed you a couple of the horrific uh uh jobs that it did but at the same time it's done a nice job extending background and uh, doing a few little less shall we say aggressive things so i, I just wanted to one throw it at you and get your take on it uh, after having seen some of the output, but also, uh, you know, I, I personally think like it just proves that Adobe's onto something, right? They're doing this in a way that's a lot more useful with the tools that they already have in place. You know, the user interface is superior, far superior to anything out there, but their AI is far inferior. And as a result, uh, it's just not as good. They, they would be well served buying mid journey or somebody because they're they seem like they're nine months behind i don't know i'll throw it at yeah. you i mean i you know i've not been as deep into it as you have i've certainly seen all the buzz that's happening and the things people are sharing online and of course people are sharing the best of their best of course right mm -hmm. uh but i obviously saw some of the things you were showing me leading up to this show and it, it looks like and you pointed this out as well it looks like Midjourney or Stable Diffusion or any of those services looked a year ago or maybe more, making the same mistakes, the missing arm and two legs in a shoe and gobbled faces, garbled faces, uh, maybe gobbled faces too. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it's kind of disastrous in terms of the execution on some of those things, especially to me, it looked like it's related to people. Um, and of right. course, marketer, the odds that you're going to have people in your scene whether as the main subject or in the background, pretty high, right? Uh, people use right. products, right? So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's a bit of a struggle. Right? <laughs> to, uh, yeah. I mean, like, look, if you're thinking like Midjourney, the big breakthrough of five and five one was photo realistic imagery. And, right. you know, what Adobe's really good at is extending existing imagery. So that gets back to their legacy. Right, because right. they already had content-aware tools, so this is just an extension of that in my mind. Yeah, yeah. being an experienced user. But on top of that, though, they just they they do animation and illustration, which is 
fine, but it's not competitive. And, you know, there's going to be a tolerance point where people are going to get sick of waiting for that. So I, I think that, you know, Adobe can move, but the clock's on, man. You got to catch up with the AI. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, to your point, the fact that this is integrated into the industry standard tool set, right? You're not going, you're not asking a creative director at an ad agency or somebody at a brand to go sit on a discord and start, you know, kind of messing around in public, right? Um, you know, that, you know, that's you know, just such a bizarre awesome. interface. So awesome. Um, but, um, you know, so, you know, being able to use a tool like this inside Premiere or, or, or Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever your primary tool set is, is phenomenal, but they've got to really, it's, it looks to me as well, like they've got to do a lot to catch up. Yeah. I, I see an acquisition in their future. Wouldn't surprise me. Or, yeah, I don't think that's out of the question. Had to happen, right? Unicorn not, land. Let's get some. Not, not financial advice. Yeah. Let, let's get into it. Uh, before we get into the too nitty gritty on the Adobe thing, I'm sure we'll pick it up hopefully, uh, soon because I feel like that's a more productive conversation for marketers. But, you know, we, we've had a lot of doom saying come out in the past week. We have the malicious AI drone story where vice reported a military AI drone killed an operator in simulation. It was a horrifically written article, in my opinion, especially as things uh, unfolded. It became clear that their source was not a reliable source. It was speaking without uh, the, let's say, just say the permission of the Public Affairs Department of the United States Air Force or the Royal Air Force, whichever one that they, uh, they worked for, because it wasn't clear based on the different reporting. And, you know, the other thing was it wasn't actually uh, an operator that got killed. And then it, in the article, it said like page paragraph five or six that it was uh, a simulation. And then it comes out afterwards after the whole Air Force trying to clean up the uh, horrible crisis that it created. Um, it, it wasn't even called a simulation. It was a, a logic test or something like that. Right. And, Whatever uh, that means, right? Right. I mean, but everybody was making it out to be Skynet out there killing fucking people. Pardon my French. And, uh, yeah, not safe for work. Sorry, folks. Uh, TechCrunch did a nice summary of the article. They blew it out of the water. This is an example of why AI is not dangerous. It's not sentient. It was really clearly a machine learning kind of algorithm where it was rewarded on points for getting answers right. The correct answer was for it to blow up the enemy. And the barrier to it blowing up the enemy was the operator who was telling it not to blow it up. So it blew up the operator in the simulation or whatever it was, the logic test. So it was really bad logic. It was horrifically formed uh, analytics. If we're trying to keep our own guys safe, that has to be rule number one. Keep your own people safe, right? You know, that has to be above all, you know, you're not supposed to blow up your operator. You're not supposed to blow up their comms tower, their vehicle. I don't know, their skateboard, whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's just like, come on, man, what are we doing with this? So, you know, let's talk about that one because that got a lot of widespread news and then we could pick up the letter and the, the Washington Post story. Yeah, for sure. So like, you know, I'm not really sure what a logic test or a thought experiment, I think was another term I saw used, uh, in regards to this after the news broke and the military tried to reel it back. Um, but you know, I also wonder to what extent, you know, kind of where this, where this 
if there was an AI simulation going on at all. I, I think it's not even clear what happened here, whether anything happened here, right? But if there was an actual simulation and, right. you know, the simulation was being run, um, you know, where was this particular algorithm in terms of its reinforcement learning, right? Because that's part of the process, Frank. I mean, that's part of training, right? You're going right. to see this happen with military AI. I mean, like, exactly. maybe that's really what the issue is. It's military AI and everybody's right. like, oh, fuck, military AI. Yeah. No, 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 no. Right. But it's, but it's already it's, in play, you know? You know? Right. It's the same. It's called, you know, obviously it's far more substantial and significant if this were happening in a real battlefield situation than if it's, let's say, chat GPT in a content marketing department. Right. But at the same time, it's almost like the same reason we are, you know, you try to train or fine tune a generative AI tool using reinforcement learning. Uh, which for anybody is not familiar with that. And, you know, Jeff, you kind of spoke to it a little bit in terms of earning points and so forth that what reinforcement learning will be, it will do. And sometimes it's, um, sort of stealth reinforcement, you know, between, let's say two GANs in, you know, in a, in a, in a, you know, an adversarial network kind of situation. Sometimes it's human run reinforcement. But the idea is that, you know, the algorithm has been developed. The data is fed into the algorithm. The algorithm produces a result, right? That per- that result may or may not be a successful result based on what you anticipated. And that's where reinforcement learning comes in, right? So you end up in a scenario where you r- run, you run a query. The algorithm produces a result. You reinforce a positive result with a point, right? Or you reinforce a negative result by taking a point away and the AI effectively learns to do the things that get it rewarded as opposed to the things that get it punished, right? So that could have been a natural part of the process where the military, if they were running a simulation, was looking to see if the algorithm algorithm was properly tuned, right? So this right. might be a, 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 a like a, as I guess uh, Van Jones might say, a nothing burger. Out of the game. Oh, it's a right? huge Duffy burger. Um, yeah, but anybody that's in data even, science right. knows it, that. Yeah, it turned out to be even like less than a nothing burger. It's like it took the burger away from you. <laughs> Here, you know what I think it was? It, it exposed it exposed people, right? It exposed vice, first of all, for being a crappy publication. No news there. I mean, but people that are reading Vice and taking it seriously and sharing it on the internet, shame on you because you identified yourself kind of as a, a little bit out there, right? And then, you know, it also exposed people that are really just really afraid of this thing. Like when I put up that poll before our show just to get some thoughts on the um, on that overall topic, you know, uh, I mean, it was scary for a little bit there. Like initially response was like 40% AI is a, a, a mortal threat, you know, and this, right. uh, this shows that it is. And I mean, fortunately, I felt better about my community because that came down to 18%. But still, you know, one in five people are afraid of this stuff. And that right. just tells you that this general meme that's going around is pretty serious, right? Right. So. And that, that points to the power of narratives, right? And to also right. the power of the people who share the narratives, the media and so forth, right? To sway public opinion about something. Uh, for better or for worse, right? You know, advocacy right. organizations do it all the time. Brand—that's what marketing is, right? Is swaying public opinion about 
you know, a topic. The topic may be trivial, you know, drink my soda instead of theirs, uh, but it's still swaying public opinion and behavior, um, right. which I guess logically, right. you know, kind of brings yeah. us into the other big. The other of, story, the CAIS story, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, the Center for AI Safety, uh, a longstanding organization that thinks AI is going to ruin the world. <laughs> Had a statement that said, which, you know, may or may not be true. I'm not going to say it's not, but they've been around for a while, you know, at least 10 years now. So mitigating the risk of extension from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. Signatories include Jeffrey Hinton, our friend, the former Googler who said AI is scary, but without specifics. Our good friend Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, master of PR, and his uh, crazy uncle Bill Gates at Gates Ventures and largest stockholder of Microsoft, which also is the largest stockholder of OpenAI. So, yeah, the media took that one and ran away with that one and took a whole bunch of doomsday scenarios and, you know, did the whole Skynet thing with it again, too. Like, is this really a, a, a terminal event? And to me, I, I read that statement, which is a one-liner, and I'm like, duh. I mean, who's not going to say that? Yeah, no, we should let AI ruin the world. I mean, like, come on. Like, what kind of a stupid thing is that? Like, hey, you know what? We should let children jaywalk all day long. I mean, it's right there, you know? I mean, it, it, there's nothing to be said there. And to be clear, we're nowhere near the level of having an AGI. I mean... There's just nothing that makes me think that we're close to it right now. I don't feel anything that I'm seeing from any of these tools is dangerous in that sense. I think the real question is uh, why these brands are signing it. I think we'll get into that in the second half. And then, but here, here was the the capper on that. That story happened, and then President Biden came out and said, uh, "Some people are very worried about AI." That it could actually overtake human thinking and planets. Uh, so we've got a lot to think about. It's pretty, you know, significant and he implied danger. Of course, the media said he did say it was dangerous. Uh, but he said, but it's an incredible opportunity. We have to do something with it. Right. So the, the businessman came in like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. There's potential there. Oh, yeah. I'll sign that statement, but let's make some money. Right. And then he fell down and everybody just talked about how he fell down. <laughs> I I've held on at least once a day. I'm just going to put that out there. I'm not slamming it for falling down, but we all know what happens when these presidential candidates or presidents fall down, it's particularly when they're 80. I mean, the Bob Dole moment, right? Right. It's the Bob Dole moment. So that's what the media ran away with, and I forgot that he talked about AI, which is just yeah. fine as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, obviously, government has a big role in this, too, as a regulator. Um, I do think that sets us up pretty nicely to talk about that. I'll, I'll precede the Washington Post article, which gets into some of our implications and then, uh, let you have the last soundbite before a break. Uh, so the, also the Washington Post came out with an article talking about how, uh, people like you and me, people like our listeners, people that are content marketers and writers are now walking dogs because their employers oh, yeah. hired use chat GPT. Which caused our friend Ann Haley to put up a post that got ludicrous amounts of uh, sharing and comments and likes and not likes. Obviously, that hits hits the funny bone, right? That's the source spot, really, the real perhaps danger. So, to you, my friend. 
Yeah. And I mean, obviously there are real risks. There's real dangers. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of concern. Uh, the media is fueling, uh, you know, a lot of this in terms of the kind of the existential risk panic, you know, the Time magazine cover, you know, about, you know, robots taking over, um, you know, the, you know, sort of Terminator, you know, fantasies coming to play in real life. Right. Um, you know, and I think this is, um, you know, something that's been in my mind, um, because of this, you know, this, this episode as we were planning it and, um, you know, we're going to get into this conversation, you know, that at some point this has to get real. Right. And, you know, without denying risks, both near term and long term, we're going to talk about that some more. We've spoken about it on other episodes as well, but I was having an, a conversation with a former client who's become kind of a friend over the years. Right. And, you know, he's, I won't name his name or his companies. I'm not sure if I have the, if I'm at liberty to do that. I do know he's an occasional listener and enjoys what we do. Um, but you know, he's been head of digital at a, at a couple of major brands. Um, he's still involved with the industry in a big way. Um, and he was saying like, look, I'm seeing all this stuff. I'm seeing all this crap about the existential risks. I'm seeing stuff about the real risks. Um, I'm seeing all of the hubbub. You know, but when I put on my hat as a brand marketer, none of that is helpful to me at all, right? I need to know about it. I need to understand it. I need to think about its implications because my consumers are being fed this information and they're forming opinions about artificial intelligence that may influence the way they feel about my brand if I start engaging them using artificial intelligence. Right. I need to understand where my company might be at risk based on certain things we choose to do or not do. But at the end of the day, telling me that robots are going to extinguish humanity at some indeterminate point in the future doesn't give me anything to act on when my CEO is breathing down my neck and saying we need a strategy. Right. And a strategy doesn't mean go blindly into it. Right. It's anything but. And in fact, go slow might be the right strategy for some organizations, right? There is no hard evidence yet that says AI is going to give organizations an advantage. Logically, you believe it will, but it hasn't proven out yet, right? It's still too early, especially with something like generative AI, right? So like, but, you know, like his point was, you know, kind of the hand wringing and the arm flailing, you know, has to kind of give way to some logical, rational discussion about, okay, that's happening, but what do we do anyway? Kind of, you know, which sounds a little bit crass, but, right. you know, Perfect that is segue. Great. Absolutely. So let's get into that as soon as we get off uh, this commercial break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Keith Smith hosts a great podcast called The Fuel Podcast. Keith, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Fuel is all about the advertising business. It's like Mad Men for the years. Every show, I pick on a hot topic to discuss or interview a celebrity from the world of British and American advertising. We chat about all sorts of things, and I try and uncover the real person behind the image using just my powerful charm, incisive wit, and incredible humility. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Wherever they normally get their podcasts from Apple, Google, Spotify, the NPN website, or just visit my website at thefuelpodcast.com. You heard him. Go subscribe. All right. So so now we're at, uh, what is it? Welcome to the Terror Dome. Panic at the edge of the disco. Uh, I don't know. Getting back to some 90s and 80s rap here. But, you know, yeah, chorus extinction's bad. And yeah, I think we're looking at job displacement for some people, particularly those that work for companies that um, maybe don't value quality um, or, you know, in places where people are doing rote tasks that's easily replaced by AI. But I, I think this is not anything new. Uh, I think that uh, what we are seeing is something that's happening very fast. And as we've discussed in the past, it's also happening to people that use the very tools that we use to communicate. And so they're being very vociferous about their fear. And it's become quite a debate. I mean, if you think about journalists, they're, they're clearly in the marks. People like you and me who are content marketers, content creators, we're clearly in the marks or in the crosshairs, if you would. Um, so, you know, this is a big conversation. Uh, and of course, the truth is that AI itself is neither good or bad. Uh, but it really is about, uh, you know, how it's used. And I, I think when you look at that Washington Post story, it was sensational in the very Washington Post way. So it comes off as it, as something that's thought out, thought out sensationalism. But what it doesn't really dive into is, you know, who are the companies that are replacing people with chat GPT? Cause I, I think you know, I know. We talked about Claude. We talked about all these different technologies privately. They get you at when they're working well, 80 to 90% of the way there. When they don't work well, you're spending twice the time, which is what you had said earlier today, right? Right. And, and, and it's yeah. like, okay, so are we really going to replace people with this? Cause you know, that's going to tell me something about your brand. If I'm getting that crap, you know, from your contact communications. And also I, I do think that with the PR side of this, particularly with the CAS stuff, there's more, more to be said on this. Uh, and, and in particular, why is OpenAI backing this? Why is Microsoft backing it? They have a stake in the game and they're getting something out of it. And that includes, and you've discussed this with me, plausible deniability, but also that they've set themselves up for the hero narrative. Do you want to break that down? Yeah, I mean, like when you think about it, right, there's only a handful of possible explanations as to why the companies who are making AI are actually, you know, are, are signing on or kind of doing this whole kind of dance, right? This rigmarole, 
right? You know, one which is like the least of all possibilities, in my opinion, is that they know something we don't. And I'm sure they know plenty we don't, but, you know, there is, a, I suppose, a legitimate argument that says these people are legitimately frightened of their own creation. They, they believe they've made a Frankenstein's monster, right? Um, but the challenge with that, of course, is that they are the companies that are commercial or you know developing and commercializing <laughs> this technology. So if Shame on that. Doing, right, if they should be doing anything, it shouldn't be signing letters and then throwing their hands up, right? They should and yeah. asking people, you know, governments to regulate them up until the point that the governments do regulate them, right? That's the Sam Altman classic, right? Is week one, he's sitting in front of Congress begging to be regulated. Week two, he's threatening to pull out of the EU because they're regulating, right? So there's clearly something off there, right? That smells a little bit fishy. Uh, but clearly, if you're so concerned about your own technology, your own systems, yeah. the tools you're building, then who better, who's better positioned to slow development, to be more responsible, to, right? It, it's them, right? So there's, Right. And that's argument, right? Really concerned that they truly yeah. want regulation just does not hold water. As far as I'm well, right? I think about the captains of industry in other parts of the world. Like, I mean, how about Dow Chemical? Can we have right. that, please? Can we do that? Or Jim Farley over at Ford? Hey, you know, that seatbelt malfunction. Yeah, we didn't have any control over that. It kind of got away from us. It was sentient. Um, government didn't regulate us even though we asked you know like come on these guys get sued for hundreds of millions and billions of dollars every time they have this kind of error that's to me like the number one thing that these clowns are trying to to pull off is to accelerate their speed of deployment and to do so without liability they want right. plausible deniability they want to say that we've warned you we told you not to use it but we built it for you to use and we integrated it into everything including your fridge so right. sorry, you know, you comes, know, right. You know, that comes to this whole, this, pl you know, plausible deniability and sort of, you know, what, you know, frankly, a lot of the ethics community points to as a smokescreen, right? That totally by putting the emphasis on a far future existential risk that nobody could argue against to your point earlier, it would be impossible to look at that 22 word statement and say, you know what? I disagree. Extinction's totally fine, right? That's a right. totally reasonable statement to make. The problem is it ignores everything else that's going to happen with these same systems long before they become general intelligence, become sentient, become artificial super intelligence, right? It's all the stuff that's happening now or the, the issues, the risks. That have been known for years and years and years, right? Because we've seen them play out in social media. We've seen them play out sure. in search, in programmatic ad targeting, in all of these other systems outside of marketing, right? Systems that are used to set bail or to, you know, kind of, you know, for sentencing criminals or whatever else might be happening or medical systems, right? Um, yeah. You know, that there is inherent bias in these systems, that this bias could be harmful to some people. That they will, you know, that, that the access to these tools might widen the digital divide or all these other things that are true. Right. right? Um, or further and, reinforce, you know, to your point, racism. You know, I mean, like this right. is like the real thing that they're not talking about. 
Right. And, you know, that's the argument. It's interesting because you've got the existential risk guys and they're mostly guys. It's lots of tech bros. It's the CEOs of all these companies. Um, and, you know, people who have a, in a lot of ways, a vested financial stake in the success of artificial intelligence. And then you have the ethics folks who are, you know, largely, frankly, academic and interestingly enough, also skew female. Um, who are, you know, can't see eye to eye on these issues, right? And it's the ethical yeah. to kind of keep pointing to this, like, you know, the, the, the harm, frankly, the existential risk argument does because it just changes the narrative in such a way that it makes it impossible to actually make practical real time decisions, not only about how to regulate these, uh, systems, but how organizations should be thinking about and actually using and deploying these systems. Right. Well, and also government's got a word or a, a, a bone to pick on this one as well, because they see it coming to them. They're using it. I mean, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't think the Department of Defense is actively engaged in AI development right now, you're kidding yourself. They cool. call them black boxes for a reason. I mean, it's been out there for a long time. In fact, there are people that I know in the area that have done systems to use, for example, machine learning to locate down the Air Force bombers. You know, I mean, like great use of the technology, but I mean, but I mean, it, 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 yeah, but even not you're even, kidding yourself, you know, right? And you know, you know, you don't have to take it to that level, even because like the city of New York is using generative AI tools to translate a document from English into a hundred different languages, right? So these tools great are great use. Play. Right. It's a perfect yeah. use case. Um, you know, so these tools are already in play. Right. And, yeah. you know, you know, it's, you know, there's, you know, there's this it, sort of this interesting dynamic that is the, that yeah. is kind of, I think, come into play in that, you know, nobody went to, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, the federal government, let's just stick to the federal government going to the head of like, like the CEO of JP Morgan. And saying, Hey, we need your help to regulate money laundering or, you know, mortgage fraud or like, you know, and say, here, you regulate yourself. Or, I mean, we see time and time again, right? You know, with like you repeal like a clean water act or you weaken it or whatever. And you've got, right, then you have a problem. Companies, you have CEOs of companies saying, let's just dump the, it's, it's going to save us a few pennies on the dollar. Let's dump the pollution right into the river in our own community to poison the water we're going to drink right and it's like right. you know so but in the case and government you know regulators congress right they're not experts in pharmaceuticals or finance or housing or whatever right um but they still regulate those things and you can argue whether they regulate it well or they regulate it poorly, but to an extent, we we expect and we trust them to regulate these things. Um, when it comes to technology, they keep turning to the kind of the wolf in the henhouse, the fox in the henhouse, whatever it is. Right. Going to these CEOs and saying, hey, why don't you guys get together and tell us what to do? Uh, which is well, me really there's a, another part of this game too, which is that these same companies are selling billion dollar contracts to the U.S. government. There is that. As so, well. I mean, like, <laughs> so they're also playing this game like, oh, yeah, we want to work well with government. Well, of course they do. I mean, like, 
You look at the three main cloud providers for the government and the secure FedRAMP cloud environment. Shows you what it's like to live in DC as a marketer. Sorry. But you got Google, Amazon, and Microsoft Azure, right? Oh, oh my God. Shocking. <laughs> it's the big three again, you know? So of course these guys are all doing this. It's, it's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah. So like, you know, and I think, you know, when you look at all of this and you've said this before, we've had this conversation before that, you know, it, that, you know, these calls for regulation by the CEOs of the companies who could self-regulate in a sense by slowing their development and their deployment, uh, by putting more guardrails in place on the systems that they're making available to people often for free at this massive scale, a la chat GPT, uh, right. or mid journey or whatever. Um, you know, is that, you know, it gets everybody talking and even if it's negative, right? Bad news sells, right? So it gets everybody talking about these tools and technologies. It gets everybody concerned about what happens to me if I fall behind, right? That's right. the, the right, the Washington Post story, the writers, you know, saying, well, now I'm a dog walker. Um, you know, and the media eat it up because it gets them ratings and clicks and whatever, right? You create this. And, and the reporters are also equally afraid. So they're right. more than willing to pile Right. Up. And you end up with this sort of, you know, what for a consumer brand might be a virtuous cycle of brilliant marketing, but in this instance is a vicious cycle of, 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 uh, of brilliant marketing also <laughs> that, you know, kind of keeps keeps these technologies in the news and keeps people kind of in this constant state of FOMO and FUD and, you know, I've yeah. got to adopt this and I've got to figure out how to do X or Y or Z, or I'm going to be made obsolete by a technology I don't truly understand. And that it's, and, and that you know, to some extent, right. I do think that's accurate because if you buy into the fear too much, right, you're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy right where you are going to be replaced yeah. you know and especially if you don't know it i mean to me though it's you got to look at it more like okay my software has received a major upgrade so i need to learn that software and i think that's the where the conversation the productive conversation is yeah. for professionals in every field that's affected by this right. but for this kind of histrionics that are occurring and they're going to continue to occur this panic um it, it's really clear to me it's going to be like 50 uh, yeah, maybe 20 percent to one third of the market it's going to constantly be engaged in in kind of heel digging and kind of fear and combativeness with this i mean they're going to have a really hard time with this and it's clear that it's going to be a very public hard time as well and there's going to be a lot of stories about people being displaced because people are vested in fighting for what they've got. And it's unfortunate. Change is hard. Uh, we've you seen know, this sure. with major technologies before. I mean, same thing with the Gutenberg press, right? In the Bible, right. you know, people went, oh, right. not no. only, and no. you know, these days, not only it change hard, but change is exhausting, right? Because we've been going so fast, cycle after cycle of, of, you know, sort of, you know, accelerating change. Uh, for how long now, right? I mean, you know, but I, when I, does this become a distraction? When does this right. story become a distraction where people like you and me are like, okay, go, go panic at the disco. See you later. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so, I mean, I guess, and that kind of brings us to kind of like, how do we turn this around, right? Is all of it, is it really all a big distraction? You know, should any of it matter to a marketer? You know, if I'm sitting on top of a brand organization or, you know, I'm a CMO or I'm a digital director at an agency or whatever, you know, how do I turn this around? How do I make it productive? How do I take it from sort of, you know, every, you know, it's it, like, yeah, get beyond, you know, like we've spoken about in other cases, in other episodes, get past the hype, right? The, right. The high of the high hype is as bad as the low of the low hype, right? It's just hype. Totally. Right? Out at the edges and it's yeah. you know, screaming from the tower or it's, you know, hiding in a cellar. And neither of those things actually gets us to the heart of why, if and why this stuff actually matters to a market. So what right. are your thoughts there? So one is now there's a clear public relations issue now for any brand that's involved with AI or publicly involved with AI where uh, you instantly have a 20% alienation factor, right? Where you have folks that are suspicious of your actions. And there's some of it where I think you can watch things without having to t disclose it, like basic scripting on your site where you're sourcing images and that kind of one-to-one -one marketing kind of thing. But the other thing is when there are real applications that people are using, then they need to know that they're using it. There's the ethics part of it. It's the governance, if you would. And governance now no longer includes just data, right? And cleaning up the data, but it's also the public um, use of safety. It's the ethics disclaimer, the commitment to correct wrongs when they happen. Because I think that brands have to be smart about that and get in front of it. Uh, you know, we will correct wrongs as they are happening. We appreciate you as a member of our user community. And when you see something, let us know. Uh, I mean, that does, that's not a commitment to change it. Cause I think you and I both know that there are enough people out there that will complain about just about anything. But, you know, uh, it's like Amazon says, you know, when you hit like a, a certain threshold on your Amazon store where you have maybe they could see their two or 5% negative reviews. You have a real problem that you have to address. And so these brands have to be on it. And they have to be looking at these issues before they get out of hand and they have to have a commitment to address it. So I think number one, right out of the gate, it's governance, right? You know, yeah. you have to own it and you have to be very clear on what the risks are and right. be in front of them. Yeah. And I think that it's, I think with so many other sort of systems, you know, whether it's software or, you know, just kind of any, you know, any kind of part of an ecosystem. I think in a lot of cases, you figure sort of like wherever the problem originates, the developer, so to speak, is accountable, right? They're, they've got, you know, there's a service level agreement, right? And the developer is responsible. Um Whereas here, it's just as likely the person or the organization rather that deploys it is responsible, right? Because you're deploying it in some ways, knowing it's an imperfect tool or an imperfect system. Um, and it's not going to be, I don't believe it will be acceptable to be like, well, I didn't know that they used, you know, content that was, you know, that trounced on somebody else's IP. Um, right. Right. You know, when that shows up in a Coca-Cola ad, a Pepsi ad, a MasterCard ad, an American Express ad, uh, you know, whatever. All right. You know, that's going to become a problem for that brand. Right. Um, right. You know, so I think kind of, you know, as a, as, as a brand owner, you know, you have to have this philosophy of absent anybody else. I am accountable. 
for the ways in yes. which I choose to utilize and deploy these technologies in my marketing programs. Um, totally. Which or any other program, bit, customer right, service, other, sure, of course. user manuals. Right. Yeah, if your user manuals bunk because you use generative AI, shame on you. Right, which feels a little bit different from, let's say, the use of AI in programmatic advertising, right? Where your ad may end up on an objection on an objectionable website. Um, and as the advertiser, you might get some blowback from your consumers, but you can always go back to the programmatic ad network and say, you guys didn't sign, right? Um, yeah. in this instance, it's like, you know, sorry, your content marketer used it and didn't fact check their work. It's not our problem as the creator, you know, the, the technology company to make sure you're a responsible user. So that's number two, right? And this is the classic AI thing. So this isn't new, right? It's new for marketers, but it's not new. And you say this to me all the time, whenever we talk about these tools, human. You have to have a human review the content. It's the human in the loop. If yeah. there, and this is Adobe's premise on the whole ethical side of it. AI assists humans, but if you remove the human completely from the, from the loop, so to speak, uh, then you're setting yeah. yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for a crisis. And, yeah. you know, that's when I saw that Washington Post story, I'm like, well, yeah, these guys are setting themselves up for a huge fail. So it sucks. And it yeah. sucks for the dog walkers. Yeah. But and then, those yeah. companies also kind of suck and they're going to end up eating some crow at some point. I'll right. Guarantee it. You know, and that's, that's the interesting thing here, right? Is that, you know, and this, I, there's a thread of, there's, this thread has run through a number of our conversations. It's run through even a lot of the stories and things we've been discussing today, going back to the, you know, the uh, military example from, you know, early in the, in the, in the episode, right? Where, we have a, you know, this tendency to anthropomorphize this technology in particular, right? We anthropomorphize right. lots of technologies, but this one in particular, because it seems human-like and right. it's very easy to say AI is going to take a job or AI made a decision to take out its human operator. And it's not AI making a decision or taking a job, right? So when you look at it within the context of business, what it comes down to is will profit-driven executives in for-profit organizations leverage AI in a way that does, you know, both temporary and lasting damage to their workforce, right? And, right. you know, and what that, what does that look like? In, the, in an extreme case, it looks like, of course, you're getting rid of a whole bunch of people. There's a layoff. People are out of work. They're walking dogs. They're, you know, kind of on the dole, so to speak. Um, but even before that, it's making decisions about how you design your workflows and integrate technology into those workflows that essentially remove the human autonomy or agency that the people in your workforce have, right? You know, so it's, it, it's important as you're thinking about the ways in which AI, generative AI in particular, you know, for marketing, I think, um, is integrated into the workflows that ultimately at the end of the day, the human worker remains in control over the tool, not the other way around. Let, you know, let the tool provide the efficiency, the productivity, uh, improve workflows, bring all of what it can bring to the table but ensure that the humans in that process are the ones who are making the final call. Right. And I right. see this even in like content and, you know, 
in the work I'm doing, you know, it might make writing faster, but it actually makes editing twice as important. Oh yeah. I mean, that, I mean that's a different skill set, by the way, than writing, in my opinion. So when I see, I, I've seen people that are not great writers who are fantastic copy editors that I would, I'm a horrible editor, for example, I think, you know, I really think that uh, without good editing, I'd be a dead man. And uh, I just think that even when you look at things like Grammarly, for example, which are supposedly editing tools, they are formulate and sure. uh, you do need an actual copy editor to kind of look at some of the stuff that they go through. So back to you. Yeah. Sorry. You know, so there is that idea and this goes to, I think, you know, whether it's earning the trust of your consumers by using these tools responsibly and transparently as they should yeah. be used, right? Um, or earning the trust of the people inside your organization by using them in a way that supports human autonomy and decision-making and agency and allows work to become better and not worse, right? That's, to me, always at the center of like an AI strategy is this idea of how do we build trust into the system from the get-go? Because without that, right. your workers won't use it, your consumers won't accept it, um, and you end up in a lose-lose situation as a brand. Well, there's also, I, I think this may be the third component, which I haven't seen emerge yet, but I do foresee this happening pretty quickly, which is the CSR component of it or the corporate social responsibility aspect of it. And, you know, uh, you and I have lived through a few recessions and part of the difference between companies that just can people and companies that have to make changes and help people on their journey is that they help them find their next place. And GE was notorious for doing this, you know, helping people find their next opportunity, giving them outplacement services, giving them training, that kind of thing. And I think that the real good companies here are not going to just like put people on the chopping block. They're going to invest in retraining. They're going to invest in the next opportunity for these people. They're going to show them how to adopt the tools so that they can continue to be productive members of the workforce. Yeah. They're going to set up foundations to engage in these tools. They're going to go to the university level. They're going to teach kids how to adapt technology. They're going to fund the general assemblies of the world. Yeah, this is something that we're not seeing a lot of discussion about. I think that's probably the most productive way that people can embrace this technology moving forward is not just saying like, hey, this is going to put people out of work, but like, hey, we need to adapt a new skill set for the future. We need to retrain our workforce. And we're going to be leading that effort as a right. company that's leading. I mean, I'd love to see Sam Altman and his little hoity-toity, we're the company of AI, get in front of this. But I don't see those clouds doing that. They just want to get as much PR as they can, both as saviors and as you know, false prophets. You know? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you that you know whether this is the right place for it to land or not the organizations that are deploying these systems inside their, you know, their work streams um, are going to need to get serious about upskilling and reskilling. And when I think about, you know, my life at an agency, and it's been a long time since I've been in like a big agency, like a Fachi or a Digitas or whatever. Um, but, you know, in those, in those organizations, I feel like upskilling and reskilling amounted to like a once a week brown bag lunch where you sat and listened to some media sales rep pitch something that they're trying to sell you, right? There wasn't any real concerted effort to do the kind of serious reskilling you're talking about. And 
you know, when I look at, you know, I, we, we talked briefly about, we didn't cover it today, but the announcement between NVIDIA and, um, and WPP and this sort of wide scale deployment of AI systems across all of WPP. And immediately when I see something like that, I think about fantastic. You're spending who knows how many millions on a technology tool set. But what are you actually doing to reskill your employees? Because even small technical implementations fail because the employees don't embrace the tools, don't know how to use them, are concerned what's going to happen to them, and they dig their heels in against the change. And I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen there. For all I know, WPP has an amazing reskilling program in place. Um, but for any brand or agency, large or small, I know you're making a faith. I'm just saying hypothetically. Um, yeah, it's a big my, one. <laughs> you know, for any any brand, large or small, any agency, large or small, any freelance, or, or I guess, yeah. all, you know, like somebody's going to take the accountability for putting the right change management in place. And right. without unless it, you're a DIYer who just runs out and does these things, you're an early adopter. I think you and I would probably fall into that camp or we, we pretend to be, you know, we're, we're trying to stay in front of these things. I, I constantly am uh, using every personal project as an opportunity to play with the tools myself. Right. And, you know, it's just, look, there, I don't think that they're victims here. With a lot of this, I mean, in some cases there are where people are just losing their jobs without having a, a, a say in it. But at this point, if you're, if you're in this game and you, you're not adapting and you're not looking to upskill and you're not trying to upskill your team, you know, if you're in a management position or a CMO, then, uh, you're, you're setting people up. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the way I see it. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, should we get into the brainer and no brainer? That's kind of a morbid end. <laughs> you're screwed. Get the skills or you're out. Let's end this on a real down note. What's the brain? <laughs> What's the brainer this week, my friend? Uh, so when you hear one of these stories about like AI conquering the world and, uh, you know, killing all the lettuce and all the fields across the world. Yeah, these kinds of malignant AI stories, you gotta really ask yourself, why is this story being written this way? You know, what, what is the actual cause of the story? What created the situation? Is the story being reported accurately? I remember when, uh, blogs first started to really hit, remember we had to triangulate the news a little bit. You'd have to find three different sources before you accepted it as fact. I think it's time to kind of get back to that basic quality principle where, hey, have I read all the perspectives on this or is this headline really accurate? So, you know, what's in it for the people that are writing it? What's in it for the people that are pushing the story to the media outlet? You know, why are these people saying this? Ask. No, great. And I guess no brainer on that on the, uh, for a no brainer, um, it's, you know, if you are a marketing decision maker, agency side or brand side, doesn't make a difference. You can't kind of point the finger at the AI companies and expect them to take the blame. 
right? That, you know, we've been speaking about this, obviously, you know, over the course of the past 15 or so minutes, I think pretty, pretty hard. Um, you know, is that ultimately, I'm sorry, (laughs) is that, you know, ultimately, you know, you are responsible for how your company deploys AI. Um, and that means that, you know, if there are outcomes that are unexpected, whether that's, AI that leads you to make bad decisions in terms of how you market or AI that is deployed in your organization in a way that is not workforce positive, that it is, it is on your shoulders to, um, you know, to kind of take responsibility. So you have to have the right policies, the right governance, be ready for crisis the same way you would be for any kind of PR crisis, um, you know, or a social media crisis. God help you. Right. You know, it's like a lot Nobody of- Nobody likes those. You've been through um, a couple of those, right? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You need, to just, <laughs> you need to be realistic about it. But there, there is a silver lining there, which is that if you do the right things, right? If you bake trust into the system from the ground up, if you uh, are deploying AI against a, like a, a legitimate and appropriate use case, particularly a use case that is less about- saving money as an organization and more about driving growth and building better relationships with your customers. Um, and you have the right governance in place and you respect human authority and agency and all of that stuff. Um, you can actually bring your brand to a place where you are a better, smarter marketer that builds better, stronger relationships with the people that you serve out in the marketplace and i think that's the silver lining here it's being aware of these things but using them as sort of a set of data points or or understanding the background noise maybe as a way to think about it but still rising above that noise by using these kind of understand the risks and the responsibilities in a way that allows you to avert the risk take responsibility um, and actually build something that benefits your company and your customer. Right. You are responsible and not adapting is also a responsibility. So if you don't, if you don't adapt, then you're going to be held accountable for that as well. And your competition definitely will. So I think that's kind of part of the game here. Yeah. So I think that's a wrap. That's Would you agree? I agree. All right. Let's keep the good times rolling then. Uh, Thank you for listening to us through the marketing podcast network or However you get your podcast, subscribe on YouTube, hit the like button, and please show us your support. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, I, Apple, whatever the platform is, maybe it's VR today because that announcement oh, that's came right. out. Big day. We're recording during the announcement. I mean, God, this is how much we love you all. We don't even watch Apple market, the best marketing on earth to record this. But, you know, whatever, uh, if you're listening to Apple, please rate us and like us there as well. We really appreciate the reviews. So if you could do that, we'd, uh, uh, it goes a long way towards getting this podcast out there and helping other lit- listeners discover us. And last but not least, check out nobrainerpodcast.com where you can also drop us an email. You can also reach out to us on LinkedIn. We do take suggestions and comments and we welcome them. So thank you and peace out. 
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Keith Smith hosts a great podcast called The Fuel Podcast. Keith, tell us what these fine folks will get out of listening. Fuel is all about the advertising business. It's like Mad Men for the years. Every show, I pick on a hot topic to discuss or interview a celebrity from the world of British and American advertising. We chat about all sorts of things, and I try and uncover the real person behind the image using just my powerful charm, incisive wit, and incredible humor. Humility. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Wherever they normally get their podcasts from Apple, Google, Spotify, the NPN website, or just visit my website at thefuelpodcast.com. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.